0: of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barrett. My job is to bring you great thinking from great leaders in dentistry to make you better, make your practice better, and your life better. And today, When we're talking about transitioning your practice or signing a contract, there are some things you have to pay attention to. So I have Dr. Suzanne Ebert from the ADA Transitions Program on here, and she's going to give you some great things to consider before you sign a contract. And that's both sides, the seller and the buyer. So hope you guys enjoy the episode. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the best practice show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron. And if you've ever thought about your career in dentistry, you know there comes a time where you have to transition you have to sell your practice or you have to find somebody or you've got to think about the next chapter and today we're going to bring in an expert Dr. Suzanne Ebert who is going to help us prepare for the next chapter because you want to do this chapter correctly and there's a lot of people out there that are willing to give you advice and it's awesome when you can actually go inside of these decisions and take them apart and so Suzanne thanks for being on I really appreciate it
1: Thank you so much for having me I'm excited
0: Yeah, I am too. You don't even know what we're going to do, but (laughs) we're just going to roll with it. Okay, cool, cool. Now, we're going to get into things to pay attention to before you're actually getting ready to sign a contract. And so we'll talk about all those these. But I always like for people to know who our guest is. And so give us a little bio in your background um, before we jump into the topic.
1: Well, thanks for so much for allowing me the opportunity. Uh, I right now am working for the American Dental Association as the Vice President of Dental Practice and Relationship Management. That is such a big title. And it, it doesn't even begin to describe what I do because what I do is I help dentists find just that right place to transition into so that they can be long-term successful in their careers. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I was a solo practitioner for 11 years. I did a startup, had a wonderful time with it, but you know, life happens and things change in uh, your health. And I had to sell my practice unexpectedly after 11 years, but I was not ready to give up on dentistry at all. So I ended up as the dental director of a federally qualified health center where we also, We're an extramural rotation site. So I got to teach for six and a half years. Heard about this program that the American Dental Association was getting involved in, and I thought, I've got to be a part of it. So here I am.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. Now, give us a little history lesson on the ADA's commitment to this. How long has this program been in place?
1: Well, what I love about this is that it really started quite a few years back when the American Dental Association decided that they wanted to really provide a tangible, benefit from members, something that they could really sink their teeth into. And they went through, they did a ton of research. And this particular product was born, so to speak, back in uh, 2019. We went nationwide in 2020, uh, December of 2020, to be exact. And we have really been crushing it ever since. So we have been in the market full-time nationwide since December of 2020.
0: Yeah. Now tell us a little bit about the State of the Union in transition. Are there more people transitioning out? Like what what would you say about the transition landscape right now, just from a data standpoint or anything, anything you're noticing?
1: Yeah, there are definitely some trends right now uh, due to the wonderful experience of COVID back in uh, 2020 we have a number of our, uh, I'm going to say more senior doctors. Now I can say that since I kind of consider myself almost one of them mm-hmm. decided that they wanted to just get out of clinical dentistry altogether. Right. So we are seeing a lot of our doctors who were looking maybe at a three to five year timeline, they've decided to bump that up a little bit. We also are seeing a number of our younger doctors who have perhaps been working as an associate for a couple of years, they're starting to see the benefits of practice ownership, perhaps because they got laid off during Mm -hmm. the whole COVID experience. And they discovered that, you know what, maybe it's time for me to purchase a practice.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, so private practice is not dead. You know, people are purchasing. It's so funny. I'm saying that facetiously, but people are looking to go into private practice more. I think it's incredible. I mean, that's my personal opinion, but you have quite a few young dentists coming to you saying, look, I want to own my own practice, right?
1: 80% of the younger doctors who are on my platform want to purchase a practice. Wow! and when I go into dental schools and I talk with our younger doctors, that's what I hear consistently every single time. One of my first questions is how many of you are interested in practice ownership? And I would say 85 to 90% of the students raise their hands. It doesn't die unless they allow it to die. So let's give our doctors the tools that they need and the reassurance that they can do this to help them be long-term successful in dentistry. It's a fabulous profession. It doesn't get any better than this.
0: Yeah, I am absolutely loving what you're saying and I could not agree more. And so let's talk about the why, why it's so important to get these things right in transition. Not only if I'm a young dentist or new dentist starting, but also someone who's in the mature stages of their career. Why is this topic so important?
1: So many reasons. So many reasons. All right. You may have to rein me in here, Chris. All right, I'm I will. Gonna, Don't I'm worry. Gonna about it. I'm you. gonna try. I got you. I'm gonna try. All right. So do you think that the value in a dental practice is in the equipment or the, you know, what technology you have in place? Of course not. The value in a dental practice is in the patients.
0: Yep.
1: Right? We can agree on that Agreed. at least if nothing else. Right. So how important is it that we find the right dentist to come into the practice, who's gonna share the same mission, vision and values as the owner? And this applies to an associate coming into a practice or a practice sale. The patients won't be confused. The staff won't be confused. How wonderful is that? The patients are gonna stay, of course they'll stay. They always give the dentist, the new dentist a chance. Yeah. So let's make this work by finding the right practice for these younger doctors to join. Yeah. And then giving them the tools to make that transition into the practice seamless. So that first day, here's the ultimate goal. The first day a new doctor walks into a practice, do we want that doctor worrying about what the staff is saying? Oh, my goodness, what are the patients thinking? How on earth am I going to make this work? or do we want them to be able to focus in on, here's Mrs. Jones coming in for treatment, I am comfortable treating Mrs. Jones today.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And you guys have also been working on this for quite a while. So this isn't just an event-based thing. Like you are actually you created a matchmaking service. So long before we even get to the contract, give us a sense of this because you're using my, you know, you're talking about core values and mission. Like, do you do a lot of the matchmaking on that side of things? Because I would imagine that's critically important.
1: We start with a pretty extensive online platform. Okay. That's really guides our doctors to tell us what they really want and who they really are. In other words, what is their philosophy of care? Mm -hmm. How do their mission, vision and values affect the way they practice dentistry in their office? And see, here's the magic, though. When you are a younger doctor, let's say you're looking for an associateship. And you go to an interview, or your putting your resume out there, are you gonna represent yourself exactly as you are, or are you going to make yourself into the mold that you think somebody else wants you to be? Last I heard interviewing 101 was, figure out what the other person wants and give it to them, right?
0: Yeah, and you're talking, you're asking that question to the absolute worst person in the world. I'm the worst interviewer ever, like ever. I like people and they tell me something and I'm like, that's awesome. And I believe them, you know, so like uh, I see both sides of it, but you're exactly right. You know, you're going to want to fit with what they're looking for, right?
1: Yes, and that's what we do. So by telling these, by having the doctors fill out this extensive profile, we know who they are. Mm -hmm. not what somebody else wants them to be. That way, we can go into our database, use some little artificial intelligence action there, little fun stuff. But it doesn't start and stop with the artificial intelligence, we have advisors, we have people who are behind the scenes, looking at these things and looking for that commonality, looking for that shared mission, vision and values. We find that Then we bring those doctors together and we guide them through the interview process. We guide them through the evaluation of the practice, which is vitally important. And then we guide them through the steps so that they can get to the contracts and be successful in that transition.
0: Yeah. And this is your show. Like I said, I got your back the whole time. So we're going to approach this as... You know, probably both sides of it, the actual transitioner and the purchaser, like things to do or to pay attention before you actually sign the contract, you know. And um, and so would you say that's probably number one is we got to make sure that the values are all aligned and, I mean, geographic location. I mean, just pretty much everything. And then what are some of the other things that you would say are just critical that have to be in place before we even get there?
1: You know, the thing is, is I like that you said preparation, Because to get to a signed letter of intent, there's a ton of preparation that goes into that. You need to have the financing lined up, the valuation has to be good, everybody's got to be good with the location, with the practice stats, all of that. That goes without saying, in my opinion. We help you with all of that, but here's what we do that is a little bit different. I don't know if you in your position have ever heard of some transitions where the younger doc comes into the practice and they look around and they don't know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. The systems are not what they thought they were going to be. The staff has not been told that they're the new owner potentially. There's, you know, the compressors being held together with duct tape and chicken wire. Yeah. This happens. It does. So it's it's a horrible scenario for these doctors coming in. So what we do is we make sure that that doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. okay? We have a whole transition plan that kind of goes from start to finish. But within that, we designate a certain portion of this, what we call an integration plan.
0: Okay. What's that? Tell us about that.
1: That is vital. That is starting a couple of months before the actual closing date, for example, or the date when an associate starts in the practice, the two doctors are going to get together and they're going to talk about some tough things. They're going to talk about how are we going to handle the staff? How are we going to inform the staff that this is going on? How are we going to handle if you need to get licensed, if you need to get uh, credentialed with any certain companies? We're going to make sure that that younger doctor has a checkoff list that basically goes through, you know, take a look at the equipment, make sure it's all functional. What supplies are you using? What is the, what are the clinical operations of this practice look like on a day to day basis? What's the typical schedule? What do treatment plans look like? Right. Have we talked about that? So often these conversations don't happen. And when they don't happen, the younger dog comes into the practice, they get blindsided. Yeah. So we don't want that to happen. Yeah. So we say starting at a couple of months out, you're going to start having these, these conversations. For example, let's talk about a tough one. Okay. Every staff. Yeah. Notifying the staff.
0: Okay. So that's always the question is like, do you tell the team? Do you not tell the team that's, you know, you can hear opinions on all side of things
1: on this? Oh, yes. I get opinions on all sides of it and I am, I'm willing to argue.
0: <laughs> well, let's, let, yeah. <laughs> i'm here just to listen and i love you know i love listening to people that are doing this like what are you finding and let's let's go there what what's your opinion on this
1: my very strong opinion is that your staff needs to be involved in the transition right and i contend that if you are if you have been in one practice for 35 to 40 years i'm going to tell you a secret your staff probably knows that you're thinking about getting out.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: And if they don't, start dropping some hints, It's time. Yeah. You know, think about it. I would like everybody who says, I'm not going to tell my staff until the day of the new doctor walking in. I want you to put yourself in that staff member's shoes who has been there potentially with you for years and years, feels like they're a very valued part of the office, Think about what they experience when you tell them so long. I'm no longer your employer. Yeah. Dr. So-and-so is coming in. Uh, Yeah. And let's speak to,
0: yeah. Now speak to this too. The, You know, what's taught out there, what the fear is, is that if you're going to tell these team members that have committed their lives to helping you create a great practice, that they're ultimately going to leave or not support the process. And you probably find that not to be true. And um, the other question I have is, okay, so I love this, like, give me a sense of how would I do that? And when are you talking a month, two months prior, or when we know it's pretty much set or we're thinking about it? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: That's going to run the gamut. And a lot of it is going to depend on what the doctor's tolerance for this is. Some of my, of my doctors tell the staff immediately there, I'm thinking about transitioning my practice, um, um. Pretty much about ready to retire. I would like your help in this. Great. Right. Right. To me, that's the ideal scenario. It doesn't get any better than that right. because generally, I'm glad you brought up the whole fact of the staff leaving after they have invested their life, their lives in this practice. If you have a strong sense of ownership of this practice, are you just going to leave? No. No. You want it to succeed, don't right. you? Well, and you, you also have, those patients are your friends by now.
0: Yeah. And if you care about your team, I mean, you know their spouses, you know their kids, you care about them as people. And so it's very difficult as a dentist who cares just to say, hey, good luck. Found you a new, you know, boss, type of a thing, right?
1: And that's the same thing with the staff. I guess that's that's kind of my point. They right. have invested their time and their energy in this practice, just like you as the dentist have. Right. So aren't you going to, as a staff person who knows all the patients, who's basically friends probably with the patients, who may potentially have kids that go to school with the patients, you're not gonna leave that practice. You want that practice to succeed.
0: Yeah. Now I have a bajillion questions. So forgive me. if it, Now, would I include them in the process or are you pretty adamant? No, you don't really want to include them in the selection process. Or are we just telling them basically state of mind and just being honest with them about where you are in your career and maybe what the next step will look like?
1: Ideal scenario is that they are invested and they actually interview or talk with the potential buyer.
0: Yeah. No different than bringing in a new team member saying, hey, look, take this potential team member to lunch. And now everybody has a chance to say, hey, listen, we're going to be a part of making sure that this is a success. So that's cool. Absolutely. Very cool. So absolutely. Now, other questions. I have so many questions. Like, so, you know, um, if I'm transitioning for the first time, let's say I'm in my late 50s or early 60s. I mean, is it always a purchase? I mean, is there a chance where I can bring in somebody and we can get to know each other before we discuss a purchase? Is that a possibility? Or are there trends that you would say, hey, listen, most people lean to the sale because eventually, I don't know, I'm gonna make this more complicated than I want. But like, if you're finding somebody who's really a good fit and they're really a go-getter, they're probably gonna be pushing the envelope for equity in the practice you know, type of a thing. Give us a sense of what, I mean, what you would recommend or what you see in that respect.
1: Well, I would love to tell you a story.
0: Please, I love (laughs) stories. Go there, go there.
1: One of our very first uh, associate transitions happened up in the middle of, I I can't call it Nowersville, Maine. Well, I shouldn't call it that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is in a very rural area. And we found an associate for the practice she entered right after she graduated. A year later, she purchased the practice. They were on what we call an associate to ownership path. Now, mind you, a couple of quick items here. She was a new grad, Okay. stepped into this practice. They crushed it together. They went through this whole interview process together. They found their team together. They just did. I mean, when I was on the phone with them, it was like magic was happening. The fireworks are going off. These, these two just clicked and a year later, she's buying the practice close to a million dollar practice Okay. a year out. Don't ever let somebody say that you can't do it. So that is an ideal scenario. The older doc was thinking that he was about three or four years from retirement. She knew she wanted ownership, but was thinking it would be a couple of years before she would be able to, based on her ability to produce clinically, based on her credit score, based on her everything being lined up properly. She was able to purchase the practice within a year. And I actually just talked with him very recently, the owner. and. He's just absolutely thrilled. He said, all I'm doing is I'm cleaning up a couple of cases. He said, she's going to be an associate here very soon. So.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And that's that's the hope that everybody has as it goes in that direction. But let's say I like Dennis and again, I'm like, oh, this is, sounds great. And let's say we start working together on both sides. They don't. It's just not working we're just not on the same page are there contingencies where we can say look we can unravel this in a very you know admirable way and you know copacetic way if it if it doesn't work out because granted once we get to signing this deal it's it's going to be hard to unravel once we sign it right
1: i think that's one of the beauties of ada practice transitions overall and that is because we have these doctors communicating Right. With each other. Now we're there to help facilitate, but they have to take some ownership in this process. So quite frankly, it's not for everybody. Right. But we need our doctors to take ownership of this process so that when they get to the contract signing, they don't have those surprises. Yeah. That's what our ultimate goal is. No surprises at the end. Now life happens, things do happen. So if it is an associate situation, we have a full what we call an associate contracting toolkit. And that guides our doctors through how do you plan for an eventual breakup? Okay. If there's a problem, how are we going to handle this? What are we going to do if there's work in progress? What are we going to do if there's a maybe clinical issue that we can't seem to resolve? That's all written out at the beginning. So again, have the hard conversations before the contracts get signed. There's a lot more to a successful transition than a successful transaction.
0: That is so true, so true. And you've heard all the horror stories on that. Now, again, this is way outside the scope of my expertise, but just the question on this is back in the day, you'd see practice transitions happen where you have somebody representing both sides, you know what I mean? And so even in buying a home, you never really want somebody to be representing the seller and the buyer. Do you have an opinion on that?
1: I have a strong opinion on that. Please bring it.
0: You can't hurt anybody's feelings here. We want to know the truth. (laughs)
1: No, I, we, we are not advocates of dual representation.
0: Okay. And tell us I, why I can
1: just leave, at that, leave yeah, it at
0: that. Leave it at that. It just Every gets messy. doctor
1: needs to have their own team representing their own interests. Yeah. I will say that when you follow our system or when you follow the adapt way, there are a lot less disputes. There's a lot of, there's a lot more room for negotiation. Mm-hmm there's a lot more communication and communication in this scenario is always a good thing.
0: Yeah. Now, again, most of the people listening to this podcast are like, oh, I'm a pretty good communicator. But in the event, I'm not a great communicator and you're facilitating that communication. Are you going to tell me what to say? Are you going to be present when I'm actually having these conversations? Because I've been in the, I've gone to lunch with a few dentists and they go, you know, you sometimes have to be the facilitator of all the conversation because they're just not going to go there. And if, even if they do, it, their dentists, for the most part, are really good-hearted people. They don't want to ask the difficult questions. So you would give us some guidelines on these are difficult questions you guys have to get clear about. Is that correct? Am I hearing that correctly?
1: You are hearing it absolutely correctly. Okay. We have not only worksheets that walk through each step in the process. We will be there to facilitate the phone call or the meeting. Uh, In some cases, we have the two doctors in one room and we're on a on a conference call or a Zoom call, something like that, sometimes because we can facilitate uh, transitions from coast to coast we have all we've got all the doctors together, usually with spouses or whoever is taking a hand in the decision making process as well. So we are there for you every step of the way. Right. And it's really it's a thing of beauty when it when people follow the, the script. Yeah. And when they go a little off script, we can bring them back home. We know yeah.
0: where they are. <laughs> yeah. And those are the good things. Now, this doesn't happen a ton and thank God it doesn't, but there are some sad situations in 25 years of doing this. We've lost a few dentists way before their time. And I get these phone calls from the spouses or the families and I'm like, ah, you know, um, let's say there's only a buyer. Can you help me? And, you know, we're we're dealing with an untimely death or a disability of, of a great hearted dentist. I mean, uh, give us some guidance on that. Anything you would say about that?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, we have encountered those those situations and those scenarios. And what we do in those cases is we kind of act as the seller's agent, so mm-hmm. to speak. We're, we're doing everything that we can yeah. to get a buyer in as quickly as possible because we know that once a practice isn't operational, the value just really kind of takes a nosedive. We've had three doctors so far that we've one was a death and two were an unexpected illness. Yeah. So So we have done we'll we'll do everything we can. Like I said, I really just want our dentists to succeed.
0: Yeah. That's, That's so it. great that you guys have this. And two, you know, I, we've been, I spent a lot of time with younger dentists and I've been interviewing a lot of them lately. I'm like, just tell me, like, some of them are really go-get, like there's two things I've learned. Number one is don't prejudge the next generation because as I find I'm getting older, they don't like that at all. And uh, I've been very careful and some of them are incredible go-getters. And some of them purchase practices. Like I interviewed a female dentist and she's like on her second purchase and now thinking about a third. And I'm like, this is awesome, and then I go, "How did you figure this out?" And she's like, "Well, there's no. I just read the internet." And I'm like, "You, you went and found all this information and figured it out." And she's like, "Yep, I just figured out how to do it." So I think it's really great that you guys have a service that helps people, you know, through all of these things. And uh, some of these, some of these younger dentists, they are go getters in this whole thing. Um, and then the other questions I have are, you know, when it comes to downsides or pitfalls before we actually sign the deal, you know, because that's what this podcast is all about. What are some other things you would just caution? Hey, look, this has got to be figured out before both parties sign the deal. Anything come to mind?
1: There are a couple of things. I mean, some of them are very, it, it's obvious. A deal's not going to go through if the legal documents aren't in order or the financing isn't going to go through. Those are, those are the obvious things. So I'm going to put those aside for right okay. now. When I'm talking what I'm talking about are things that the two doctors need to understand walking in. I would say that the clinical operations, the way the practice operates are just so vitally important when you have the think about walking into an operatory for your first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know this patient you if you don't have a sense of the treatment plan, if you don't have a sense of how the uh, how the dental assistants work with the doctor typically in this practice, if you don't have any sense of that whole patient experience, how comfortable are you going to be walking into that practice in, into that operatory? I know for me, it was always so important that I was incredibly prepared, right. no matter what I, situation I was walking into, if it's an emergency exam, I want the dental assistant to go in and triage everything. I want to be very prepared when I walk in that room to deal with whatever I'm going to encounter. Yeah. So I would approach a transition the same way. When you walk into that office, let's make sure that you've already looked under the floorboards. Let's make sure that all the equipment's in working order. Let's make sure you're not fumbling in the operatory. Let's make sure that you're comfortable with the supplies that are there. Let's make sure that you understand the office processes, especially things like the collections policies. Understand what the staff is gonna be saying to the patients as they walk in the door. So that is the stuff that just makes the transition process so much nicer. We want you to have a stress-free first day.
0: Yeah. And I completely agree with you. I mean, some of the stated facts are even wrong. So the purchasing dentist will say, yeah, it's only like 35% PPO. And then they get in there and like, no, it's 85% PPO. That's a big thing. Another thing that we often see, not well, not let's hope it's not as often as you know, some of the other listeners, but uh, a chart audit because sometimes you're thinking about, hey, look, this practice has 3,200 active patients. Well, a third of them have passed away and making sure that they're actually really alive and active patients. Is there a, is there a, a way to be able to do that in your process and audit those?
1: Part of what we recommend is a chart audit. Yeah. You know, there are two different kinds of chart audits. One right. is, you know, randomly taking charts and taking a look and seeing, are these really active patients? The other kind of chart audit is how does the treatment in progress look? And I think you can get a pretty good sense of what's going on within a practice just by looking at active treatment plans. Right. So if I'm looking and, you know, this dentist is not being very forthcoming with active treatment plans, I'm gonna wanna do a little bit more digging on that chart audit part. Yeah. Yeah. But if they're coming to you and the two of you are sitting down together and you're discussing, you know, multiple active treatment plans, I've got, you know, here's this going on with this patient, here's this going on, here's this going on, and you can see the schedule, the way it's booked out, and you're paying attention. To what the schedule looks like booked out. Uh make sure that it's not the exact same patient on the schedule six or seven or eight times. Yeah. Which I have seen, unfortunately.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, just do your due diligence. Look, I, I say due diligence is the time to look under the floorboards and see if the house was represented accurately. Yeah. And that's again what we help you with. Yeah. It comes down to more than the financials. It's not all about the financials. It just isn't because the financials can look great. But then when you walk in, if the practice doesn't fit your style or you are completely blindsided by things that were going on within the practice that maybe the financials didn't show, it's gonna be more difficult. Yeah. So we pay attention to all that.
0: Absolutely, and then really understanding what the next chapter of this practice looks like once you both sign on the dotted line. We always use the phrase specific is terrific, like get super specific. And I only say that because we've seen situations where, number one, a dentist is looking to bring in somebody and they only have like 1,500 active patients. And I'm like, well, we're, we're, what is the new dentist going to do? And they're like, well, we'll figure that out. Well, okay, that's not good. Or you get that situation where they do have a lot of patience and the seller only wants to keep their patience and their work Um, And that becomes a difficult conversation also. Um, So I think it's really good to just make sure that you're all on the same page about what the future looks like. And then the other one, which is near and dear to my heart, is people always make this sound really great. Like, oh, yeah, I'll mentor you. And then they consider mentoring like chatting in the hallway before I jump on a plane and head to Florida on Thursday night type of a thing. I think mentoring is, you know, you got to ask the question, what does that look like? Oh, and then one more thing. I don't mean to complicate this. And again, this is your show. Is like, there's always a lot of ambiguity around when the seller is going to leave. I ask people all the time, like, did you guys talk? Well, they're going to stay on They're thinking. And I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, that is just a formula for a disaster. Like, you've got to have some clarity at least around that. Not just uh, let's wait and see, right? If that's the case in which it's been transitioned, I would imagine, right?
1: Yep. Uh, you brought up some beautiful points. <laughs> I'm going to try to remember them one by one. Number one, let's see. What did you start with?
0: Well, um, just the future, like uh, the first one is the seller not only having enough patients for themselves.
1: Again, this is something that we address in our associate contracting toolkit. Mm-hmm. We literally have the doctors sit down together and talk about, okay, what does this look like? Who's going to get the good patients, right? If you have a, you know, heavily PPO practice and you're going to take all of the fee for service patients and you're going to give the new doctor all the Medicaid patients, uh, you better have a different, uh, compensation structure for that doctor, right? For sure. So there are a lot of different things that we cover in that toolkit and all of the things that you stated are covered. Um, the mentoring aspect is part of the transition plan, right? Or the integration plan. Sorry, uh, we specifically spell out, okay, what does mentoring really look like? Right, right. So, for you, what is your impression of mentoring, and what's my impression of mentoring? It could be two completely different things. We even have that in our online profile. Yeah. What level of mentoring are you interested in? And then we give a couple of different scenarios and say, hey, you know, pick one, which one best describes you. So we really do try to address all of these issues up front.
0: Yeah. And not to exacerbate this, but I could is, you know, is. I mean, this is why you need the help of an expert is the exit date of the seller or people always think partnerships are going to go on forever. No, every partnership ends. And so you have to spell out an agreement that when this does end in the event of a death or whatever, this is what happens. And it's clearly stated. So there's no problems later on. The other thing I see that's a challenge. And again, this is your show is like, okay, so I bought into the practice, but the seller still owns the building. And there's a lot of complexity around that. Those things all have to be spelled out in advance, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The real estate has become just one of the huge, huge uh, elephants in the room Mm -hmm. when a transition is occurring. So often our younger doctors really don't have the ability to purchase a pricey practice plus pricey real estate. So, you know, if the owner really wants to get out, that becomes a big sticking point, but we can usually resolve that with a right of first refusal after about 3 to 4 years. Yeah. So, if we write that into the contract up front, that's great. And then there are some scenarios where our owners just don't want to let go of the real estate for anything. They want to use it as part of their estate. And that has become a sticking point as well. But the point again, and I keep coming back to it, is understanding all the complexities, addressing these problems before you get too far involved in conversations and before you spend a bunch of money on a practice that really doesn't fit you.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think the point is like this is a multi-million-dollar decision, ultimately long term. And it's also a time decision. You're going to spend three full decades, probably, if you choose in this setting, whatever it is. So you want to make sure that all the conditions are right so that they do lend itself to a happy transition on both sides. Any last thoughts that you have, Suzanne, on just before things I have to do before we go to sign this agreement?
1: I would say it really all comes down to ADA Practice Transitions was built so that we could help doctors find just the right practice to join and then help them to see the best way to get into that practice so that it's stress-free, so that they take ownership of this and they can be proud at the end that they have chosen the right path for them. And I really wanna emphasize the right path for them. You should always pay attention to what is your key goal. What are your goals? Not what somebody tells you, not what I tell you, not what some podcast host tells you, not what you find on the internet, what's best for you. And then let us help you find that.
0: Amen, amen. So if I'm listening and I wanna find out more, where do I go to find out more about this? How do I reach out to you? How can you help me? Guide us to that.
1: First of all, you're gonna go to adapracticetransitions.com. That's our website. We would love, love, love to have you go ahead and create a profile or email us or call us. You can always reach me directly at eberts, E-B-E-R-T-S at ada.org. And I love talking to dentists about this and I love helping them find the right place.
0: Yeah. Well, that shows you found a great place in dentistry and I can tell you absolutely love it. So thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate this.
1: Thanks, Kirk. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So make sure you guys check it out. Now, if you're listening, uh, you know, as I always say, like on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, doesn't matter. Go down to the show notes. You're going to see everything that Suzanne and I chatted about. And we've got links in there. You can click right to the links. It'll take you right to what uh, she had mentioned before. And make sure you reach out and get an expert uh, for all these big decisions. It's so critical. So stick around, Suzanne. We'll always say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. Hope you enjoyed today. If you did, Do us a favor, just hit the share button. Now, this is a huge topic, an important one. And I know we've got a lot of young dentists listening. Keep sending us questions, suggestions, challenges that you guys have. And I'll see if I can get Suzanne back on and help you guys with the actual solutions for it. So until we see you guys next time, or you hear from us next time, keep watching the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Best Practices Show. I hope you sure did enjoy it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are always here for you. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. And if you really enjoy it, you can leave a comment or a four or five star review. But until we see you next time, keep watching The Best Practices Show.